Today's message is titled, Shortcut. Jeremiah 37, verses 5 to 10. You'll find that in this book, it kind of zooms in and zooms out, and it, it's not all chronological, and there are, are moments where you just kind of get a snapshot of certain things. And uh, today we get a snapshot of what uh, God's people were thinking uh, during the siege of Jerusalem. So when the Babylonians were encamping around the city, and if you've ever watched old, like old-time warfare movies or shows, when they lay siege on a city, cities back then were like walled uh, little towns, and they had multiple gates around. And if you wanted to go out and barter at the next city, if you wanted to go fishing, if you wanted to do certain things, you walked out of the gate, a lot of the elders sat at the gates of the cities and they just talked politics or uh, religion. Um, and uh, so when there was war and you would lay siege on a city, you would literally surround the walls of this city with your army and you would cut off any supply line. So you could not go out or in to this city. And if you did this long enough, you would starve them out. Right, and uh, soon you would weaken the, the, the men of war. And so when weeks turned into months and months into years, as this siege did, and the recap of the fall of Jerusalem is written for us in, in chapter 52 of the book of Jeremiah. And from that chapter, we, we read that the siege of Jerusalem was two years. Two years. And so for two years, um, they were surrounding the city so that no one can go in or out, and they were starving. They were starving, right? If you do not have the right supplies, if you don't have the necessary food, um, it, it doesn't take long uh, for you to really feel the squeeze and the pinch. And the people in Jerusalem were feeling it. And this gives us a little snapshot into a small glimpse of what was happening during that siege of Jerusalem and a brief moment of relief. Okay, so chapter 5, this is during that siege, and it says now, uh, it's kind of picking up, right, uh, verse 4, I'll, I'll start from there, now Jeremiah was still coming in and going out among the people, and so it's just talking about before that, you know, he was going in and out, and uh, for they had not yet put him in prison, and meanwhile, Pharaoh's army had set out from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who had been besieging Jerusalem, heard the report about them, that's the Egyptians, that they lifted the siege from Jerusalem, so that there was uh, a moment in time when the Egyptians were trying to assist the Israelites, the people in Jerusalem, that Pharaoh's army was dispatched from Egypt, and then when Babylon heard of it, they let up. They retreated for these particular reasons, and that's what, what's happening. Okay, And so, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Thus you are to say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come out from your, uh, for your assistance, is going to return to its own land of Egypt. The Chaldeans will also return and fight against this city, and they will capture it, and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go. 
For even if you had defeated the entire army of the Chaldeans who were fighting against you, and there were only wounded men left among them, each man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. I'll stop there. Uh, what a thing to say. I mean, Jeremiah is the bearer of bad news time and time again to God's people. First, he's saying, it's 70 years, it's not going to be cut short. I know all the other prophets are saying it's going to be shortened, but it's going to be seven decades. You don't expect a speedy return, so uh, get comfortable. Plant some gardens, build some houses, send off your children in marriage while you're in Babylon. That was the message of Jeremiah that was unwelcomed, and they could not be comforted by this message. And so, uh, this particular snapshot, this is before they were carried off now. So, Babylon is surrounding the city, and everyone is feeling the hurt and the pain and the hunger. And Egypt comes to the assistance, and then when they do, Babylon flees. And you can imagine, if you are the city being sieged, the relief that you feel. You can imagine how much joy they felt when... Oh, the cavalry is here, right? Uh, uh, the, the Egyptians are coming and the Babylonians, they're running away. And as they're going, they're singing in the streets. They are so thankful for this. They're like, yes, God is good. And I can assure you that they were saying that, right? And as the Babylonians were leaving and the Egyptians were coming, Jeremiah gets the word from the Lord and he says, I want you to speak up. Because I don't want people to misunderstand what's happening here. I don't want you to think that I will not send you into Babylon and that you can stay here doing what you've been doing all along because God has a purpose for the captivity and this is not the answer. Now that's not a welcome message. I mean, you get something that you want, right? That the siege is lifted. And all of a sudden, the voice of Jeremiah comes and he says, this is not the end that God has for you. You're going to want to put this guy to death. You're going to want to put him away saying, stop speaking to the people because you're not comforting anyone here. All right? But this is the word that God has for Jeremiah. I uh, titled this message Shortcut, right? Now, if you think about what a shortcut normally is, right, it's like, you're at point A and you're going to point B and let's say there's traffic one way, right? And so the shortcut is to go the quicker route and you're going to go to the same destination and you find a better way. That's what we think about shortcut, right? And uh, people might promise us different shortcuts and different ways to, to minimize hardship. And so that's what we want to do. Strenuous times and seasons, we want to make shorter through a shortcut. We want to earn money. An easier way, right? And you go back to, to school, right? You think about shortcuts, right? <laughs> right? I don't know if you've ever written anything on your hand or, you know, they get all sophisticated now. Back in the day when you had like scientific calculators and when it evolved and you can actually write notes in the calculator that can be saved and, you know, now it's sophisticated. I don't even know how the kids cheat anymore, right? But uh, it's probably high tech the way that they do it. But old school was you put something on a little piece of paper, you wrote it on your hand, you, you etched it on your pencil, you did something, you know, that was like that. And that's a shortcut, right? So you want to get to the same destination, which is a good grade. On the exam, on the test, that's the hopeful destination. And the shortcut is not studying, 
but cheating. That's a shortcut, right? What's another shortcut? I mean, uh, stealing, right? The, the, the destination is getting the toy, right? But you're going to bypass the chores and the allowances and spending your own money to get to the same end result, having the possession. That's stealing, right? Uh, you know, I, I mentioned traffic, right? I never, I don't use this app. Anyone use Waze? I use, I'm still a Google Maps guy, and so, uh, but Waze apparently, they tell you all of the different little things that can really like lengthen your travel. And so they kind of crowdsource all of the Waze users and they, they, they tell you where all these little pain points are and they bring you to the shortest time way to get to your destination. That's a, a shortcut. Now I'm not going to call that cheating or stealing, that's using your head, right? But I'm just reinforcing what a shortcut is. Isn't this a shortcut? All right. I mean, we see it all the time, those billboards, right? The Powerball, the Mega Millions. And we, when we see three-digit million dollars uh, for that, like the amount of money that goes into the lottery just skyrockets. It's through the roof. And Americans love the lottery. We love the lottery. I mean, people fork over their hard-earned money for this. And I did a little bit of research, right? And I stumbled upon this graph, and it was... I tried to find something a little bit more recent, but I couldn't. So this data is from 2014. And in 2014, $70 billion, that's in the B, the billions, was spent in that calendar year on the lottery across this country. Okay, $70 billion, right? And if you think about all of the money that was spent on sports, you know, like tickets, books, video games, movies, and music, you combine all of that... It's only 63 billion, right? And so the amount of money spent on lottery outdid all of those other categories combined, right? And I found a little bit more recent data, and it was like climbing 80 billion now, right? And so it's just telling us that people want to f strike it rich and get a lot of money, a big windfall of money, but it's not through hard work or smart investments or lifelong goals. It's about trying to buy a ticket that will match up so that suddenly this windfall will fall into my lap. That's a shortcut. That's a shortcut. Right? But I think this title can be a little bit misleading. Because this to me is more of what I see in our passage. It's not about getting to the same destination a shorter way, a less strenuous path to get there. This message to me is about settling for a lesser destination. Okay? And so I'm trying to contrast it with these two pictures, right? There's a mountain and you've got to climb over it to get to this lake, to get to this scenery, right? And in order to get here, it takes sweat and pain to get here. And in the pastor's note, I said it might even take a little bit of vomiting to get here, right? You've got to lug the backpack over that extra weight and you've got to climb that hill. And on the way up the hill, there was a little offshoot path and it's to a rest area. There's a picnic table there. There's a little barbecue. There's a play area. There's even a trash can there. Like, wow, this is, this is enough. This has everything that I wanted to do. Right? I wanted to eat, relax a little bit, and play here. And I can do it here in this little rest area. Right? And you compare the two experiences just in these two pictures. And I try to use my 
you know, uh, emotional side to dramatize the point in a, a very, very dreary picture of a picnic, right? Less color, not as vibrant and dramatic. And of course, the vibrancy of the other photo is there, right? But it's beyond that. You can imagine yourself there on that lake and saying, it was worth it to get here. And so that's what this passage to me is about. You know, going through Babylon is going up through the hill and understanding that God has a refining purpose and process through these decades. And at the tail end of it, where we will be as a people, where our worship will be, where we will be as a society and as a community, that will be a much more beautiful place than the shortcut than Egypt coming along, scattering the Babylonians, and just us living life as we did, but in peace and tranquility. It's that rest area. It's the quick stop. It's not the same destination. So in certain sense, I think the title shortcut is misleading. And I want us to experience this, right? To say it's not the cutoff that I want. It is not the, the little area going slightly up the hill that I want, but I want to get over it, and I want to get over here. And so shortcut, it's not really that. I think it's more cutting ourselves short of understanding that everything that God has for us in our personal lives, families, and careers, there is something so beautiful over the hill, and God wants us to experience that in our faith, in our worship. But too often, we say that we don't, it's just too hard to get up the hill. It takes too much effort. I got too much weight on my back. And I just, you know what? Like, this is easier. I can, I'll eat my meal here, right? And often, we cut ourselves short in the interim. We settle for the lesser destination and experience. And we don't have all that God wants for us, has prepared for us, because suddenly Egypt offers a little bit of relief. This is what I hope to get into our hearts today. Because Egypt, Egypt stepped in and they disrupted the picture a little bit. And I can understand Israel, like, this is good, this is God's deliverance. And then wanting this freedom from, from Babylon, of not going into captivity. That's human nature to want a shorter cut, to cut short times of distress. I'll share a couple of things as main points today. The first is this, little or much. Uh, that God can accomplish His purposes with little or much. I, I, you know, at the end of our passage... <laughs> Verse 10, for even if you had defeated the entire army of the Chaldeans and were fighting, uh, that were fighting against you and they were only wounded men left among them, right? Let's just say that, you know, they were wounded and limping men only. That God can even take those wounded and limping men and still burn this city down to the ground if he wanted to. That's what he's saying, right? And so with as little or with as much as he has, he can accomplish anything, right? I mean, there are plenty of examples of God using little to do a lot, right? Whether it be Gideon, you know, dwindling down his army to the fewest number to defeat the foes, right? Whether it be Daniel and his friends eating inferior food and less of it to accomplish even more than his contemporaries did. Or whether it be the classic example of Jesus using 12 
to really turn the world upside down. The Bible is spread from beginning to end about God using little to accomplish a lot. Now God can use a lot to accomplish a lot too, but God can use whatever, right? And so he's just reinforcing the point that even if Egypt prevailed against Babylon and they were like just limping, God will still take those limping men and accomplish his purpose for this city. Right? That's what he's speaking through Jeremiah. The second main thing that I'll say is this. It's about restoration first, then relief. I mean, who can blame Israel for wanting a little bit of relief from this pinch, right? Uh, it's natural. And uh, I can say that's a good thing that they wanted, R relief, right? But to God, relief wasn't the end game. It was about providing and preparing His people and bringing them to a place of restoration first. That He wanted to restore something in their character and spirituality, and that was primary to God. And it was not just the relief that He wanted. Now, this message is not to say that God won't cut difficult times short, because I think He can and He will do that at times. Right? But it's about understanding God's intent for the various seasons of our lives, that it's not simply wanting to get out of something that's difficult or unpleasant, because that's what everybody wants. But it's about understanding that God is first doing and, and, and working out a certain process in our lives. Relief might be a part of it, but ultimately, it's about restoring us and bringing us to a place that truly glorifies Him the absolute most. There is um, a place that is absolutely beautiful in this country. It's in Moab, Utah. If you've ever seen a, a Utah license plate, You've probably seen this. It's this grand stone arch, right? It's iconic, you know? It's iconic the world over. And this arch is a part of 2,000 arches in Arches National Park in Utah. And it's breathtaking. It's just, it's, it's perched on top of a canyon. You know, you can just see just over just centuries, this canyon being carved out by glaciers and waters, right? And suddenly these stones being reinforced and smoothed out and arches being hollowed and it is just breathtaking, right? Just every space you go in Arches National Park, you can take a postcard photo, right? Now, if you wanted to get to Arches National Park, you'd have to park in a parking lot that is pretty close to a viewpoint. And from the viewpoint, you would have to hike two and a half miles uphill to actually get to the destination of that photo of, that I just showed you, right? And at the viewpoint, a hundred yard hike from the parking lot on level ground, you can see the arches. That's where these people are, right? That's the arches way over there. And so they're at a viewpoint of the arches, at a viewpoint. And you can get here easily. It doesn't take any sweat, right? From the parking lot, it's quite easy. But if you think about it, you compare the experiences, right? Compare the experiences again. Let me, let me take you here for a second, okay? Imagine yourself just sitting, standing, 
right in between where that arch is being just cascaded over the, the horizon. And just imagine yourself taking a picture there as opposed to taking a picture here, right? By the sign, right? Because you didn't want to make the hike up the hill. Two and a half miles, five miles round trip. It's a different experience. I guarantee you that's a different experience. You know why I know? I did that hike. I went here with a friend in 2014. We just decided to go to Moab because it was the outdoorsman's capital of the world. We went off-roading. We got this Jeep Cherokee for rent, and I, I tell you, when we rented that in a Salt Lake City and we drove that four, I think four or five hour drive to Moab, we went everywhere with this vehicle. It was white and we returned it brown. <laughs> I kid you not, right? I have a picture, I'll show you the pictures later. I remember when we returned it, the guy, the, sale, the, the, the person receiving the car opened the hood and had this expression of, what did you do to this vehicle? Like we drove it through mud. We went, look up Lion's Back, Utah, on, on, on Google. We did Lion's Back. We climbed. <laughs> I thought we were going to die. I was yelling. I have video of this. We were yelling the entire way up this thing, just driving up this sliver of a Lion's Back of this rock, right? But this is Arches National Park. And I mean, a photo doesn't do it justice. Uh, you know, um, this canyon that we, it's, it's just breathtaking. I, I can't even begin to tell you what it felt like to eat trail mix on this cliff. I, I can't begin to tell you. My feet dangling and I, like it, literally if I slipped, like I would die. But that view was worth it. Just opening up a Ziploc bag and eating trail mix for 30 minutes on this cliff was an experience of a lifetime. Right? Now I, and many people, you could be satisfied with that little plaque, that little picture, five miles round trip away, and say, wow, I've been to Arches. <laughs> and technically you have, but technically you haven't. You've been close, but not quite there. Because to get there requires the hike, to get over the hill. And to me, that's what this message is about. It's about understanding, yeah, Egypt, they're offering some relief now, but I want you to know that God has a greater purpose for these next decades. And you've got to get through it. Don't try to cut this time short. This time of refinement, this hardship is hard. That's why it's called hardship. But it's necessary for true glory. And so how does that interpret in your life today? You know, praise team, you guys come back. How, how does that interpret in your life today? Like when you think about it hard hill that's in front of you, relationally, career-wise, life goal, marriage, parenting, all of the worthy things in life are at the end of a hill, right? Not at the bottom of a valley. It's not a quick slide down and it's, woo, we're here, fine, that was, that was easy, right?
right? All of the truly worthy things in life are on top of a hill, so to speak. That it requires effort to get healthy physically. It requires effort to get healthy spiritually and emotionally, to bring our careers to a space, to raise our children to a place that is glorifying to God, to bring our marriages to a place that is glorifying to God. All of that requires trekking up a hill and saying, I will not be satisfied with the book and the picture, the sign at the viewpoint, and to say that this is good enough. But I want to get up there and I want to experience that. May that sink into our hearts today in whatever realm that speaks to you in. And just know that God has a purpose for that hill. And He placed it there because it's a moment of refinement. It's sifting. And it's knowing that not everyone will choose to climb that hill. But those who truly want to experience the glory of God in its true fullness must be willing to do so. If you can take that and apply it to something in your life, can I get an amen?